Hello, and welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are still shrinking because we're not creating places where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. So welcome. I am your host, Jen Hale Christie. Quick shout out to our awesome Patreon community, Sarah, Sheila, Steve, and Tom. I'm so grateful for your continued support. If you are listening and you haven't yet joined our Patreon community, now's a great time. You can join with a support level as low as just three bucks a month, and your support keeps this good work going, keeps all the episodes available online. So thank you. Links are in the show notes. We have a guest preacher on the podcast today. So without further ado, let's hear a word. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Claire Frederick, and today I'll be preaching about Jesus and the character we know as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. This sermon is taken from John 4, verses 5 through 42, which I'll read for you at this time. Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well, and it was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? For Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So recently on the podcast, we looked at another person in the life of Jesus. In John chapter 3, the Pharisee Nicodemus came to see Jesus by night, and Becky Frazier did a great job with that sermon. You'll want to go back and listen to it if you haven't. But for now, I'd like to compare and contrast Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman just a little bit. Nicodemus was a man, a Jew, a teacher of Israel, a member of the religious elite. He was an insider to the covenant community, and yet He did not fully grasp, at the time he visited Jesus anyway, what the Spirit of God was up to in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had told Nicodemus that the Spirit, like a wind, blows wherever it pleases. It cannot be kept in a box, contained, controlled, or predicted. For followers of Jesus, it's simply our job to try and keep up with the movements of this surprising Spirit. Well, today the Spirit is about to blow Jesus right through the region of Samaria, 
which is an unusual move on the part of Jesus because most Jews, as we well know, avoided Samaritans like the plague due to long-standing racial hostilities. You see, there was an unspoken travel ban on crossing this border. But the text says Jesus had to go through Samaria. There was some radical boundary crossing Jesus had to do and some walls the Spirit had to break down concerning certain categories of who is invited to fully participate in the kingdom of God. But more about that in a minute. In Becky's sermon, we saw Jesus and Nicodemus speaking at night under cover of darkness. Here we find Jesus sitting beside a well at high noon in broad daylight conversing with a Samaritan woman. As someone who questions Jesus, her story in some ways parallels that of Nicodemus. For example, Nicodemus was thinking too literally about being born again and how to accomplish that exactly. The Samaritan woman is thinking too literally about living water and how she can get her hands on enough of it so that she will never again go thirsty. They both need to take their thinking to another level. A spiritual level. See, Nicodemus thinks that his physical birthright as a Jew gives him correct standing with God. The Samaritan woman thinks that worshiping at the correct location in the correct temple is what makes a person right with God, and they both desire clarity and insight into these matters. Jesus will have to open up both their minds to a deeper understanding of the work of the Spirit and how a time is coming and is already here when the Spirit of the Most High God will not live in temples made by human hands, as Acts 7.48 says, but that Spirit will be, as the prophet Joel says, poured out upon all flesh and upon all whom the Lord our God will call, Acts 2.39. You see, people's bodies are going to be the temples where God's Spirit resides. And because of that democratizing work of the Spirit, True worshipers can worship the Father in spirit and in truth anywhere and everywhere, under an oak tree, in a field, on a mountaintop, or right here listening to this podcast. And likewise, anyone can become a mouthpiece for God, can prophesy about God, regardless of gender, class, age, race, or status. In many ways, the Samaritan woman here is Acts 2, 17-18 and Galatians 3.28 personified and prefigured. There are many similarities between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, but there are important differences too. She is not the preferred gender in a patriarchal society. She is not of the Jewish race, the chosen nation. She is without social power or standing, particularly considering the fact that she has no husband currently. And yet, Jesus makes time for her, had to go through Samaria to speak with her. If I had the ability to share a visual with you, I would right now I would show you this Eastern Orthodox icon that I have of the Samaritan woman from our story today. 
Church tradition tells us that the apostles baptized her with the name Photini or Photine, meaning enlightened one. Her feast day is celebrated on February 26th in the Greek Orthodox tradition. Now we know from the text that after her life-changing conversation with Christ, she went and told her entire town that she had met the Messiah. And because of her testimony, many of the townspeople came to a saving belief in Jesus. For this reason, she is sometimes hailed as the first female evangelist, or the first to proclaim the good news of Messiah Jesus. But the history of Western interpretation for Fotine has been unkind and unfair because of her five husbands. I can count on two hands the sermons I've heard condemning her adulterous lifestyle, her promiscuity, I've I've often heard that the reason why she was at the well at high noon was to avoid the gossip and the finger-pointing of other morally superior women who would have come to get their water at a decent hour of the morning in cooler temperatures. Yet nothing in the tone of these verses conveys that Jesus is condemning the woman and her marital history. That tone belongs to centuries of commentators and church bishops, not to Jesus. Jesus' words here appear to be more a statement of fact than of judgment. I hear a sound of empathy and compassion here, rather than condemnation. You see, the Samaritans followed the same laws of Moses that the Jews had in the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. And so, according to those laws, women could not initiate divorce, but a husband could. We have assumed that divorce was something she chose or caused, but that's not necessarily true. It could have been something done to her. According to Deuteronomy 24.1, if a man's wife becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he could write her a certificate of divorce and send her away from his house. And this left the woman in a vulnerable position. The reasons for a husband's displeasure were expanded over the years to include everything from infertility to the quality of her cooking. There is then the possibility that this woman had been passed around from man to man because of some defect in her. There is also the possibility that the Samaritan woman had been widowed multiple times. With high mortality rates in the ancient Near East, what are the odds that Fotine was caught in a situation of leveret marriage, where one brother dies and another brother is made to marry her, and then another dies, and then another, and so on? A serial widow would struggle to remarry. Some men might even fear that a curse or a demon was associated with her and that his own life would be in danger if they wed. If true, this could be why the last male of the family has refused to marry her. At least he has provided her a situation of cohabitation. If Fotine's reputation was really so bad, if she really was a sinful, adulterous woman, Why would the people of the town have even bothered to listen to her when she came to tell them the good news about meeting Jesus, the Messiah? No, in many ways, Fotine, to me, seems like the hypothetical woman 
of Matthew twenty-two twenty-eight personified. Remember the episode in Jesus' life when the Sadducees, who didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead, come and ask Jesus about a woman like Photine, except only this woman had had seven husbands, all of whom had died. They ask Jesus in an effort to trap Jesus, good teacher, at the resurrection, whose wife of the seven men will she be, since they all had her? This situation, if true about Fotine, creates sympathy in my heart for her, rather than scorn. And whose wife will she be? I thought about this question all week as I considered the life of Fotine. And then it hit me. Whose wife will she be? At the resurrection, in the last day, at the marriage feast of the Lamb, she, like we, will be the bride of Christ. Because she heard his words and, like her townspeople, believed that he really was the Savior of the world. Isn't it ironically symbolic then? that she meets Jesus at a well. If you've read your Old Testament, then you know that when a man and a woman meet at a well, a wedding usually follows. Wells were kind of like ancient singles bars or pickup joints. Wells were where you met your future husband. It's where single girls gathered to draw water. It's where men went to water their camels. It's where relationships were formed and social contracts were sealed. Moses met his wife Zipporah at a well in Midian. Eleazar found Rebekah, Isaac's future wife, at a well also. And today Jesus meets Fotine at a well, and it is the same well where Jacob met his favorite wife, Rachel, in Genesis 29, also at midday, high noon. And as if to solidify the symbolism in John 4, the Samaritan woman asks Jesus whether he is greater than their common ancestor Jacob, an obvious nod to the earlier story. But her encounter with Jesus here is unlike any encounter she's ever had with a man, because he is no ordinary man. He is not looking to pick her up or pass her around or use her for immoral sexual means. Rather, he speaks truth to her, takes her seriously, looks her in the eye, acknowledges her dignity, answers her questions, and challenges her assumptions. She had asked Jesus to give her life-giving water and theological answers, and instead, Jesus gives her himself, the faithful bridegroom, an image already used by John the Baptist to describe Jesus in John 3.29. Jesus, who is greater than Jacob, has come to call all of us to be part of a royal priesthood. Jesus came to reconcile all people to one another and to God. He came to gather together Nicodemus and Fotine and people like you and me from all races and nations and tribes to worship and to transcend the distinctions that have historically kept us apart. Because God's Spirit lives in us, we are no longer Jew 
or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Rather, we are all one in Christ. Galatians 3.28 As a woman in Churches of Christ, I was reluctant to use my voice for many years out of fear of what some people might think of me. What I love about Fotine is that she seems unafraid. She doesn't wait, doesn't hesitate, but uses her voice to engage the Savior, to proclaim the truth that Messiah has come, and to invite her whole town to get to know him better. And they do. May we remember her today for these inspiring actions and not for her five failed marriages. Let us pray. O Almighty God, you did pour forth water for the Hebrews from a solid rock, and you came as one of us to the land of Samaria, speaking with a woman whom you did attract to faith in you, and now she has attained life with you eternally. May we become more like Fotine, the enlightened one, who drank deeply from your living water and then experienced a holy spring welling up inside herself. She went and quenched the thirst of her townspeople with news of the living word made flesh, the Messiah. She saw that the fields were ripe for harvesting and did not delay to bring in many sheaves to you. May we bravely go and tirelessly do likewise. Amen. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash jenhalechristie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Jen Hale Christie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time. <laughs>